Let's say thanks to Kevin and Kelly and everybody for leading us in the music. And happy Mother's Day to all the moms out there. What a good day, man. Uh, if you forgot that it's Mother's Day, please call your mom right now immediately. Does anybody, anybody mom have like a special nickname for them? My, I'm 41 years old. My mom still calls me Baby David. Can you, like how horrible if this is what your baby looked like, like a dirty ashtray. You'd be like, oh, God, I want to put that thing back. But still, face only a mother could love. So happy Mother's Day to all of you. Um, if you do have kids with you in the service and they start acting up, then please be assured we got great nursery facilities out there. we got all the stuff that's going on in the room. We have broadcasts out on the TVs and stuff like that. So if they get squawking, go, go ahead and take them outside because we don't want the other moms that need a break to not get a break because of you. And then, and then if you do need to step out and call your mom, you can sit in the confession booth and repent of your sins <laughs> and, get, and get a hold of her and get it all taken care of today. Uh, we are working our way through the Old Testament. Today we're looking at the character of David, uh, one of the most towering figures in the biblical story. And, and I think the first character in the Bible that casts a shadow way into the New Testament, and particularly over the life of Jesus. And, and David's influence is, is far-reaching and, 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 and very uh, godly and well-felt. So we're going to look at, at, at first how we are introduced to David today. And, and it's an important story for me, because this is actually my namesake. My parents named me after David, and they named me after David because of the scripture that we're going to read today. And in a sense, they prophesied that over me. They spoke that over me. And, and that's a tradition that Carmel and I carried when we named our children, Jacob and Anna. We gave them biblical name so that they would have a, an anchor into the biblical story. So, so lots going on here today. Um, and, and we want to read from 1 Samuel uh, chapter 16. And if you've got a Bible with you, we want you to read from your own Bible. You can kind of compare and contrast what you hear me reading from the screens. And we have a special treat to help you do that today. Never before in the history of Westlands Community Church have we been able to do this. Russ, go ahead and wow them pretty please. Oh, oh look at that. Oh, man, we've never had lights before. Not lights that could come up like this, that you could actually read your own Bible. But we had a group uh, that came in. Oh, yeah, clap for them. They came in yesterday. They worked all day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, so let's go ahead. Uh, Samuel 16, 1 Samuel 16. Uh, now, the Lord has spoken to the prophet Samuel and told him to go and anoint one of Jesse's sons as the new king of Israel. So when they, Jesse's sons, came... Samuel, the prophet, looked on Eliab, the eldest, and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Let's stop right there for just a second, because this is the scripture um, that my, my parents spoke over me, and, and, and that we want to make sure everybody here gets. Don't, don't miss this. The Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord, the Lord looks at your heart. And you might hear all kinds of stuff today, and some of it might interest you, and some of it might not, but don't, don't miss this. The, the compass for your life is having a heart that pleases God. That's, at the end of the day, that's what matters. You're going to make some mistakes. You're going to screw a few things up. You're not going to be perfect. There's people that are not going to like you. What you want to give absolute focus and attention to is your heart. It'll guide you. It'll lead you. And that's ultimately how we're appraised and judged. Let's keep going. 
Then Jesse called this other kid and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by, and he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his other sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord hasn't chosen any of these. Uh, are all your sons here? And Jesse replied, there yet remains the youngest. But behold, he's keeping the sheep. So Samuel said, well, go get him, for we'll not sit down until he comes here. And Jesse sent and brought David in. Now he was ready and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. Isn't this funny? <laughs> like ju Just a moment ago we said, the Lord does not look at the outward appearance. Unless he has pretty eyes. And then, oh. <laughs> All right. And the Lord said, Arise and anoint David, for this is he. And Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord was upon David, rushed upon David, and led him to Ramah. This is such an important piece of the Bible. Because it tells us why God loved David. Why God selected David. And why God is intimately concerned that we would be like him. And David was a shepherd first, and then later a king. He's commonly referred to as a shepherd king, just like Jesus is commonly referred to as a shepherd king. That the nature and authority that marks David is one of, of caretaking. It's pastoral, just like the nature of Jesus' authority is pastoral. He, Jesus is the good shepherd because he's modeled after David, the first good shepherd. And you and I are meant to have that same kind of shepherding heart and concern for everybody around us. And that, that's really the substance of today's teaching. Is we want to examine how David used this good heart. And what he did with it. And there, there's four little stories that we might identify in, in the, these early chapters of Samuel. Originally I had 15. And I was going to take you through all 15. But it's not Father's Day, so I had to scale it back, you know. Uh, but but they're, they're, if you grew up in church, you're probably really familiar with these. Maybe if you read a, a children's Bible, you've probably heard all these stories before. But, but th they're of particular interest to me. And Kelly pointed out when we were planning this service, she said, you know, in all these ways, David is like an instrument that God uses to begin healing his people. And that's a really key thought. So, so first, remember that there was a time where David became Saul's armor bearer. Now, you've got to know some background here. The people of God begged God for a king. They didn't have one. They were a theocracy. They were governed completely by God and God's prophets. And they said, we don't want to just be led by God. We want a man. We want an earthly king. We want a man in charge of us so we're like all the other nations. Now, there's immediately a big red flag. If your greatest desire is for a man, man, you're going to be disappointed. <laughs> and Saul was a disappointment to God and to God's people. Because he was somebody who looked great, but he just didn't perform. The chips were down. He was a coward. He was weak-willed. He was faithless. And, and, and he let everyone down. As a result, God said, I'm going to give you a new king that's a better man, a man after my own heart, David. And then David turns around, and one of the first things he does is he goes to work for King Saul, whom he's meant to replace. And he goes to work as his armor bearer, like the last line of defense in war for a king was the armor bearer. They carried the king's weapons, they carried, of course, the king's armor, but the, the, they were inside of the king's guard, so that if anybody broke through the king's guard, the last thing they were going to have to do to get to the king was go through the armor bearer, and that's David. Which makes immediately no sense to me that the new king would stand around protecting the old king, 
that the godly man would stand around protecting the ungodly man, you think that David ought to be happy to let Saul die. But instead he protects him. That's important. Then we're told that David is brought into Saul's courtroom because Saul is frequently troubled by dark spirits. And when those dark spirits would come upon him, David came and played music. And the music sent the dark spirits away. Now, we don't know what kind of dark spirits exactly are troubling Saul. It, it could be, you know, figurative dark spirits, like maybe Saul's gloomy, he's depressed. Um, or it could be literal spirits, some kind of crazy, supernatural, demonic sort of thing. Regardless, the emphasis in the story isn't on the spirits. The emphasis in the story is on the fact that David chased them away with music. David comforted Saul. David is the first person in the entire Bible to love his enemies and bless those that curse them. And one of the ways he does that is by using his skills and abilities to serve and heal the people around him. You've got skills and abilities. How are you using them? You've got enemies. How are you treating them? David has this wild relationship with Saul, but Saul's not the only important character in David's life. David, as we recall, has a bunch of brothers, and his brothers all go to war on behalf of King Saul in the middle of this huge confrontation between the Israeli people and their next-door neighbors, Philistia. And so David's brothers are out on the front lines of this battle, but David's not called up to fight yet because he's too young. He can serve as an armor-bearer, but not a soldier proper. His brothers are discouraged, so David goes out and brings them gifts. He brings them wine and cheese and bread and food, olives. He provides for them. He sees a need and steps in to fill that need, and his brothers get angry for it. I have brothers. I know how that goes. They're never happy to see you. Do you see needs around you? Do you provide for those that lack? And when they get mad at you, do you turn your backs on them? Or like David, do you double down and continue to invest in those that need you? The fourth significant little story in the life of David concerns, of course, Goliath. The story of David and Goliath. Goliath is the champion of the enemy army. He's a giant of a man, eight feet tall, carries a sword that's about five feet long. And every day he stands out in front of the Israeli army and he humiliates them. He shames them. He taunts them. Begs the Israelis to send out a champion to fight him in one-on-one -on -one ritual combat. And no one will go because the guy's huge. Now, Israel had their champions. Saul was also almost a giant of a man. Saul had the best weapons and the best armor in the ancient world. Saul, the appropriate king, should have gone out there and fought, but he was afraid. So David went out and fought him with a child's toy, with a slingshot. And Goliath boasted. And David called back and said, you come at me with a sword and a shield, but I come at you in the name of the Lord. 
he strikes Goliath down. And it's David's bravery, David's courage that inspires the whole rest of his country to get up and fight. It's funny because, you know, usually you and I think that bravery is like its own reward. We want to be brave and courageous people and, and, and you know, because we don't want to live in fear. But bravery has far more significance than that. Bravery inspires. Bravery elevates. Bravery catalyzes other people to take action. So here's David. David, the protector. David, the comforter. David, the provider. David, who inspires. And I realized as I was looking at these and the other examples that, that there's a word that really encapsulates all that David was doing in the early portion of his life. And it's a word for you. If you serve God, if you have given your life to Jesus Christ, this word's for you. Now, in our modern times, we've, we've sort of twisted this word. We've made it smaller and less significant. We typically apply this word only to, you know, clergy or, you know, professional church people. But that's garbage. It's nonsense. This word is, is for you. And the word is ministry. David ministers to everybody he meets. He loves them. He blesses them. He serves them. He heals them. He comforts them. He inspires them. He lives his life as a conduit through which God pours his spirit, his blessing, his hope, and his truth. And out of David, it goes everywhere. To his brothers, even though they don't like it. To his king, even though he's a crook. To his enemies. I mean, everywhere, David is, is being used by God in ministry. That's what God wants from you. That's what God wants for you. That you would have a ministry. That you would minister to everybody you ever see in every direction at all times, regardless of what you're going through, regardless of who you are, regardless of how badly you're hurting. God wants you to love and serve them. That's hard. Because we do go through our own pain, our own hurt. And sometimes when we love and serve other people, it doesn't come back the way we want. And sometimes it's not reciprocated. Sometimes it's not appreciated. Sometimes it feels like we're surrounded by David's brothers. But the more you look at what you get, the more keenly you will feel your poverty. The more you'll feel like you don't get enough. Or they don't give it back to you. You give and give and give and you don't get anything back. You're always going to feel that way. So the trick is to not look at what you get back. Because that way it will always disappoint you. It will always embitter you. It will always frustrate you. If you're doing that in your marriage, what are they giving me? You'll be miserable. If you do that with your family, oh man, I don't get anything from my dad. You'll be miserable. Instead, the key to happiness, the key to maturity, the key to usefulness, the key to ministry is to think about what you give. Because you can give more. Because it's better to give than to receive. Because giving gives you great joy, giving gives you purpose. Giving is why you're here. Ministry is why you're here. So what's your, 
What's your ministry? Who are the people that God has placed around you that you've got to protect? You might not like them. I don't know if David really liked Saul, but he protected him. Who are the people that God has called you to comfort? Who are the people that God has called you to provide for? Who are the people that God is raising you up to inspire? Why are you here? What is your ministry? I looked up the word ministry this week. I'm, I'm embarrassed to admit that I've been using this word my whole life. And I, I don't really know the etymology of it. Like, where does the word come from? And uh, so I Googled it, like all good biblical scholars do. <laughs> and I'm not too proud to admit that I skipped over the first result from Wikipedia and clicked instead on etymology online. <laughs> that seemed like a good place to start. And I hate the definition. I hate it. I hate it. The definition of ministry is to make yourself less. Oh, that seems like such bad news. I don't want to be less. I don't want to be diminished. I don't want to be shrunk. That seems like it's working at cross purposes for everything else. I mean, we, we want to grow. We want to expand. We, we want to get stronger and bigger and bolder. How can ministry then be making ourselves less? So I thought, well, I must have it wrong. I'll, I'll, I'll check somewhere else. I'll keep looking until I find a better nef- definition. And Nope. That's what it means. So then I thought I'd just scrap the sermon and preach a different one. <laughs> it's a big Bible. There's other stuff in there. But the Lord kept reminding me of all the scripture that I know that reinforces we are to make ourselves less than we are. Consider what John the Baptist said about Jesus. I must decrease so that Jesus can increase in influence, in fame, in significance. Consider what Jesus himself said, that even I, the Son of Man, have not come to be served, but I have come to serve others. Consider that we are told again and again and again that the greatest of us must become the greatest servant of all. We are meant to put others first, to cooperate with God, to love and serve and bless everybody else. You ever been to the Hard Rock Cafe? They say it best. You know what their motto is? Love all, serve all. Man, I'm so jealous of that. (laughs) If we could have got there first, there'd be no shadow God, build the church, heal the world. It'd be love all, serve all, Hard Rock Cathedral. We got the best communion in town, two for one, you know. <laughs> oh, man, that, that's what you're called to do. At Westwinds, we often talk about ministry as being uh, love and friendship. We want to love everybody. We want to serve everybody. We want to welcome everybody in to the family of God. And that's hard to do. And the only way you're ever going to be able to do that to the people in your life, the only way you're ever going to be able to protect those around you, to comfort those around you, to provide for those around you, to inspire those around you, the only way you're going to be able to overcome the fact that they're not as cool as you like or as perfect as you want or as well-behaved as you hope, the only way is if you stay saturated in the presence of God. 
there's a really cool and also confusing moment in the life of David where he's running for his life from King Saul. Saul wants to kill him. David goes to escape, and he has no food. He and his men are hungry, and they go to the tabernacle, and there is something called the bread of the presence, the showbread. It's set aside for priests. The reason it's called the bread of the presence is because in the tabernacle, it's technically in the presence of God, and so the, the bread soaks it up. And this one time, they make an exception, and David and his men are allowed to eat the bread of the presence. It's a really fitting picture of David's life. Because David's early life, especially, he's, he's saturated in the presence of God. So I'm going to pass this out to you. I want you to take a piece and pass it on. You go ahead and eat it. And it doesn't taste good, but that's all right. <laughs> the point being that if you're going to live in ministry, to have a ministry, you can't do that on your own strength. There's too many reasons not to. There's too many reasons why you shouldn't forgive, why you shouldn't love, why you shouldn't serve, why you shouldn't befriend. Because, man, all this stuff involves people, and people are sometimes crappy. This was one of the hardest lessons that I had to learn. One of the most important lessons, if not the most important lesson I ever learned. See, when I was uh, 18, my friends and I, we were all graduating high school, and we were trying to, we were trying to figure out a solution to a problem that we saw. For the last, oh, I don't know, four or five years, all of our other friends who'd graduated high school, they immediately stopped going to church. And that was a problem at that time, you know, a really widespread problem. Kids would grow up in church, youth group would be really cool, they'd graduate out of high school, then they'd go off to college or whatever, they'd stop going to church entirely, give up on their faith. We'd never see them back at church until they were like 35, fat, divorced, had seven kids, you know, it was... Until their life sucked, we'd never see them again. And so we thought, well, we don't want that to happen to us. We don't want that to happen to our friends. We're, we're going to start a, a Bible study. So that's what we did. There were three of us. I started ministry, quote, unquote, with my closest friends. And it was so fun, man, for that first few months. We were, you know, Bible study was like 45 minutes. And then there was like five hours of joking around and having food late night, going to Denny's, eating pizza, you know, flinging mashed potatoes at each other, teasing each other, laughing. And that group kept growing and growing and growing. What started out as a Bible study then became a service. Then I worked myself into a job. And it was so, it was so fun. Ministry. It's fun. Uh, but then, uh, through the normal series of events, nothing dramatic, just my my friends weren't involved anymore. And I realized I was doing all this stuff with, with people I didn't like. And they didn't really like me either. I mean, they liked what I could do for them. They liked that I could cultivate this for them. But, man, I remember praying over and over and over again, oh, God, bring me somebody, a friend, a buddy, somebody who, one other person who can catch a football. That's all I need, Lord, just, just one. And I know that. People get uptight when you talk about sports. But let me tell you, if you're the only person who plays sports in a room full of people who write poems, it's lonely. It's lonely, bro. <laughs> you know? I prayed and prayed and prayed. I said, God, bring me somebody I like. And God convicted me. Don't you get it? It's not about whether you like people. I brought you these people. Love them. Oh, they're not like me. They don't like the things that I like to do. We don't have anything in common. 
I don't know that the Lord actually said this, but I felt like he was saying, so? (laughs) (laughs) And so I decided then, I was 19, I decided then no matter who was around me, that's who I was going to love. That's who I was going to serve. Those were going to be my friends. I have prayed daily, many, many times every day, daily, since then, that the Lord would increase my capacity to love and serve you. That's my ministry. It's a ministry of love and friendship. What's yours? What's your ministry? Who are you protecting? Who are you comforting? Who are you providing for? Who are you inspiring? Why are you here? This is the most important question of your entire life. Why are you here? Who is God calling you to bless, to heal, to restore, to energize, to vitalize, to love? Now, when David did all this stuff, Man, the the results were so dramatic. He's loving, he's serving, he's blessing. And the people love him right back. They're celebrating him. They're singing songs about him, writing poems and chants and stories about him. He's elevated to a position of great prominence. But that's not why he did it. He just did it because his heart was right. Sometimes you and I, We start doing the right things. Our heart is right. And then we wonder why we don't get celebrated. We wonder why we don't get lauded, applauded. We wonder why we don't get awarded or recognized. And as soon as we start wondering that, man, our our heart's not right anymore. One of the people who loved David best was Saul's beautiful daughter, Michal. She adored him. And of course, one of the people who hated David the most was Saul. You're always going to have a Saul. Maybe one, maybe two, maybe ten. You're always going to have an adversary, an opponent, somebody who wonders if you're genuine, if you're legit, if you're real, if you can be trusted, if maybe you're just a fraud. Don't get too worked up about it. Just take it as evidence that you're on the right track. And just remember, the opposition isn't what matters. What matters is your heart. That you see yourself cooperating with God to minister to everyone at all times, in all ways, insofar as the Lord enables you to do so. And the only way you're going to be able to do that is to stay saturated in the presence of God, drawing deeply on God's spirit, inviting you to do more, to be more, to love more. So that's it. That's you. That's why you're here, to minister. What's your ministry? That's what you got to figure out. You got to figure out who you're going to protect and who you're going to comfort, who you're going to provide for, and who you're going to inspire. That's your task. Amen? Amen. Man, it's a good day. We're excited that you're here.
We're glad to be sending you out. We hope that as you go out, you go out with a fresh vision and a, and a sense of destiny that the Lord is going to use you. He's going to equip you. And to help you with all that, you're getting a free chapstick. We, we, sometimes we give away, you know, things for moms. This time, it's just, it's just chapstick. <laughs> but we think it'll be a good reminder for you. Now, listen, this, this is for moms. So if you're mom, on your way out, grab one from the ushers. If you're not a mom, I will slap you. If you, if you take the chapstick. And you might say, well, I, I want to bring it to my mom. Well, I, I know you're lying, A. <laughs> B, the most important thing is that you would kidnap your mom and bring her back to church so she can get her own chapstick. Um, but let me pray for you, and, and then we'll go out with, with the chapstick of Antioch. Hallelujah. All right. Hey, Lord, thanks, thanks for our moms. Thanks for the legacy that they give us, the love that they give us. And sometimes it's lonely being a mom. It's hard being a mom. And so we pray that you would renew and bless our mothers, that you'd strengthen them and anoint them, that you would reward them for their faithful service to us, and that you would empower them to do more as you continue to renew them and refine them into your image. These things, God, we pray in your name with great love and tenderness. Amen.